Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to check out Swagoo and Perk, led, of course, by its namesake hosts, Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. New episodes every Tuesday morning, bringing listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives and career journeys with can't miss conversations. You guys know how much I love Swagoo. It's an incredible podcast. Give it a listen wherever you get pods, and they're also available on ESPN's YouTube page. Welcome back to the Meeting Time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts just found out that Tom Brady got $375 million to work in the media. He told me he'll settle for $54 million. That's divided by seven dog years. Uh, that's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am not paying him that much, uh, but I am delighted to be joined today by, I, I think I advertised it as a surprise guest on Twitter, which, uh, but then I made a huge mistake because I paired it with a picture, a gif of Jalen Hurts. So everybody got excited thinking it was Jalen Hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that voice, if you've been listening to the show, or that laugh rather, that's Mike Gold Jr., who is not Jalen Hurts, but he's just as exciting to me. Mike, welcome back. I appreciate getting to be the Jalen Hurts of this podcast, who I have routinely said has high-end backup ceiling in the NFL. So probably an accurate comp for me in sports media. (laughs) Eagles fans are angry at the jump. They were expecting a Jalen Hurts podcast. Now they get Jalen Hurts slander from Michael Jr. And where does this end? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so guys, if you didn't know, Mike has moved on to different lands, but he has still got dual citizenship at the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. Um, that pass card, or was it a visa works both ways? It's a visa. Yeah. Not a pass card. Yeah, I think it's a visa. I also called it pass card. Really, really sophisticated here. Um, well, Mike is the new host of Gojo, which is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) No guys, it's great. It's a, it's a daily podcast, which is awesome. Um, every morning new episode drops. He co-hosts it with Brandon Newman, who I've just been introduced to through this show. And I absolutely adore find to be hilarious he's kind of like a smarter more sensitive Stu Gatz is how I would describe him um as your in terms of his oh, role wow. on your show not really like his takes yeah I no but yeah. I can definitely see that oh yeah I think that's I think that's in its own way a compliment and I think Brandon knowing our affinity for Stu Gatz would absolutely take that the way it was intended well, he also probably listens to this and Stu Gatz definitely doesn't so <laughs> <laughs> um, better to err on the side of flattering Brandon. No, uh, Mike, I, how's it been before we get started today? How's it been hosting your own podcast? Um, you know what? It's been interesting so far. And for as many times as I have appeared on the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, and thank you for still allowing me back across your guys' borders mm. and honor to be here. But, um, no, it, it's been interesting. You know, I, I had to realize that I was unlearning a lot of radio training for so long because. Mm you know, getting to talk to people and listen, you will be a guest of that podcast eventually, as I've learned guest booking, very difficult part of this that everyone tells you about. It's kind of like when new parents talk to current parents and they're all like, you better get your sleep and everyone rolls their eyes, but then you get to the kid and they're exactly right. Everyone told me guest booking would be the worst part. And I rolled my eyes and they were exactly right. So aside from that, everything's been good. It's just been learning that I don't have to get to a break or get to a hard network out or anything wild like that. So, uh, so far so good. Yeah. I mean, it helps to have very frequent guests like you are, by the way, 
Field Gates and Dominique Foxworth in shambles, realizing that you are back on the rankings, back on the leaderboard. They thought they would just immediately overtake you and you'd be left in the dust. But here you are back and you're here to talk about a a variety of topics. I I decided to make this a mailbag, which um, some people view as a lazy construct. I view as a way to talk about teams and ideas that I haven't really gotten to talk about because you know, it's always like during the, by the end of the season, we're only talking about the, like the best teams. And then after the season, we're focused on the draft um, or we're, you know, zipping through a bunch of teams or talking about teams with major news. So I tried to choose questions, not all of them. I mean, yes, I threw in a Seahawks question, but, and a Ravens question, but there are a bunch of teams, you know, I haven't really gotten into like the Colts, the Jets. Um, we're going to talk Baker, Bills, Chi, out of a bunch of team stories that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a long time. I also, of course, naturally included a bunch of random questions about television, my other great love. Mike, are you ready to handle these questions? It is my honor. Field, Dominique, kiss my ass. I am back and ready to take names. Let's do this. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I started with the Colts, who I definitely have not dug into and really since the Matt Ryan trade. And um, yeah, I actually... Really want to get into this is okay. So, K, I, I took this on Twitter. K Pasa NJ uh, asked a couple of questions, but I'm gonna take the the Colts one. His question was, "Does the move to Indy get Matt Ryan back to the Super Bowl?" I like that the, this is about Matt Ryan and not about the Colts. Really, like he's asking, like, "All right, we're gonna get Matt back in the Super Bowl. Is this his chance by being in Indianapolis?" Um, so I did talk about the trade, obviously, but a lot has happened since then. A lot of really meaningful signings. Obviously, draft picks have happened to address some of the Colts' offseason needs that I feel like now give us a more complete view of this roster and their competitiveness. So, um, you know, before we get before I ask you that question, Mike, I think it's worth noting like what the biggest moves were or what the focus of this offseason felt like. So last year, just to kind of set the table for where they needed improvement. The Colts ranked 20th in passing efficiency, 13th in rushing. They ranked 17th in pass defense, third in run defense. Actually, that one's I found pretty interesting how high they were. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me like clearly this team went into the offseason realizing we have to get better at passing the ball and stopping the pass. Uh, that Step one is getting Matt Ryan, an upgrade, I believe, over Carson Wentz. But there were some other issues, wide receiver core, left tackle notably, and then on the other side, I think pass rush and secondary. So overall, how do you feel um, they do you feel that they succeeded in addressing those issues? Uh, I think they went out and for the most part, got a bunch of very good players at those spots, right? You know, you get Yannick Ngakwe on defense, Stefan Gilmore, who, you know, we still, I think, think of one way when a lot of people hear the name versus what the reality might be. Um, You go out and draft uh, Bernard Raymond in the middle of that draft, who could be a guy that helps you later on. I don't know if he's a day one guy. Alec Pierce was an awesome pick out of Cincinnati to go along with what's now like with Michael Pittman and Mo Ali Cox, Jelani Woods, who they drafted to a very big group of receivers. Like I do enjoy that they're basically going to go out here and kind of do what it seems like. Ironically, the Atlanta Falcons want to do and have sort of a basketball lineup in their wide receiver room. So overall, I think they did an above average job at all of those spots at kind of upgrading those area of needs. Mo Ali Cox, guess how tall he is. Oh, it's not as tall as I expected. Dang it. I Googled it. I thought it was, he seems like six, nine. Yes. But he's not. What is he? He's six, six. 
it listed wow, okay. as six well, five some places. Now he looks so gigantic to me when he's in the end it's, zone. It's the arms. His arms look so long all the time. Yeah, he definitely has that um inflatable man outside of used car lot kind of physique. <laughs> which is yes. helpful. Uh very helpful. Um so yeah, so like I, I, I do think they definitely made moves and uh, most importantly, of course, being Matt Ryan. I think I have kind of a mixed view of how helpful some of those moves might be. I think I, I really like this pass rush now. Um, I think Yannick and Gakwe fits their system perfectly. I think Quiddy Pay, who already you know has flashed, takes another step. And then I believe that maybe at the beginning of the season, they get back Dio Odi Bingo. Is that right? Yes. Who basically redshirted last year. Um, you know, who's kind of seen as sort of a raw, like, you know, he obviously came in to uh, the NFL with his was it Achilles? It was something very bad. Yeah, bad Achilles. lower body injury. I want to say Achilles. Yeah, Achilles, yeah. So um, I think that's something to be excited about. You know, I mean, see what he's got coming out of Vanderbilt. It was he dropped to the second round, but a lot of people viewed him as a first round draft pick, if not for the injury potentially because of his um, just athleticism and upside. So I like what they've got there. Obviously, adding Gilmore is huge. It's an interesting pick, right? Because we think of this Colts defense. Um, being so cover two centric, but like Stephon Gilmore can, like, I think we think of him as being this like elite man corner, obviously coming from New England last year in Carolina, but I think he's more versatile than people think. I think he's going to allow them to make obviously more plays on the football. So actually I, I really like what they've done defense. Offensively, I see the plan and I like what they did, but I do think left tackle is still a little bit of a question mark. You've got Matt Pryor, ahead of Bernard Raymond, um, who, as you mentioned, might not start day one. And then the wide receiver group is very, the pass catching group is very big, but like Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, who is, you know, a really fun, fast player who um, I feel like anyone who watched Cincinnati's game against Notre Dame was like, that's a first rounder right there. Um, Paris Campbell, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> uh, and then Paris Campbell, Kiki Cutie, and then, you know, the tight ends. It still, it still feels like, like when you look across the AFC, is like, uh, is that like, you know, enough? I, I, there's definitely some veterans out there, and the Colts seem to me to be like a team that could attract attract a OBJ, a Jarvis Landry, maybe a Julio. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're done moving on that front. Yeah, I, I think there's still more to be done if we're going to say, does this move get Matt Ryan back to the Super Bowl this year? My answer is going to be no. I think the AFC is just too loaded with teams that have comparatively smaller distances to bridge the gap on. But if you know this goes well and Matt Ryan gets to do what we've seen very little of in the last couple of years for Colts quarterbacks, and that's play a second season, I think a lot of these young guys that they brought in could be closer to that point. And maybe 2023, we're talking about something that's a little bit closer to the end product. Um, about that AFC, I mean, because the question is getting to the Super Bowl. So I think they'll win the division. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think so. I think Tennessee, There's this is going to be an interesting year for Tennessee. I, I I think last year was probably going to be what looks like the zenith on that, just as far as, you know, being the one seed, not having to deal with a competent Colts outfit because of all the Wentz stuff. So, yeah, I think they win the division. Yeah, I think with Tennessee, like, they're in a unique spot. And I praised them last episode. They're still competitive, right? Like, this is they're not going to be a bad football team. But, you know, Ryan Tannehill's making a ton of money. Um, and when you trade away A.J. Brown – 
that kind of signals, okay, we're gonna, we still want to be competitive, but we're not certainly not all in, so to speak, on this season. It's a huge loss for them, even with Traylon Burks coming in. Um, so, like, you know, I, I, they'll give them a run for it. I just think the Colts are the most balanced team right now. And then with the upgrade you get from Matt Ryan, I think they're going to win the division. But then when you get to the rest of conference, I mean, okay, so you've got the Bills and the Chiefs, who we're going to talk about, <laughs> the Ravens, the Bengals. Um, we'll see what happens with the Browns. And then the rest of the AFC West, it's like maybe the Colts will be better than some of those a couple of those teams, but I don't see them ranking in like the top three or four in that group. No, I, I would agree completely on that. So you're right. Maybe by nature of not being in the AFC West or AFC North, which, you know, those teams are going to come out of the year pretty beaten down by having to play those guys twice all together. So they've definitely kind of got that old Patriots feel where it's a much easier road through the division that gets them there. But I, I just still think top end talent wise, you're staring up at too many people in that time of year in those one offs to really be able to get over that hump now. And if they were in the NFC, Mike, I'm I might put them in the top four, actually. My God, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've talked about Matt Ryan and like why I think he was better than people thought last year playing, you know, in a nightmare situation in Atlanta in a lot of ways. I'll be curious to see like what level of rejuvenation you get from him or whether we're overestimating that. Um, I'm betting on it to some degree. You know, I, I'm betting on the fact that I think he'll be better. I don't think he was he's washed. Um, but, you know, like the pressure thing, yes, the Colts line is better but you know left tackle right guard it, it's not what it was like three two years ago when when, when would you say it was kind of arguably the best in the nfl yeah i'd say probably two to three years ago because really i mean quentin nelson's rookie year it was almost yeah. like the zach martin effect where he came in and was that final piece of the jigsaw puzzle and it's felt like every year since then you know ryan kelly their center has been injured off and on for some of that time period you mentioned the left tackle stuff from last year. So it's been sort of that same slow decline that we saw for the Cowboys too. They're not, again, they're not washed. That's still a very good group, but yeah. it's not the best line in football the way it was. One more question before we move on the Colts. How do you think potentially playing next to uh, Quentin Nelson might accelerate Bernard Raymond's development? I think having good veterans in the room always helps, especially at that position. You know, Quentin is such a detailed technician in his approach like the way that guy approaches football and the tone he sets in that room you're not going to wonder what you're supposed to do because for anyone that's not familiar with Bernard Raymond coming over here I'm sure Colts fans know this by now but you know he came over from Austria played at Central Michigan where he started off as a big blocking tight end and then slowly ate his way into being an offensive tackle. So he's only been playing the position for a couple of years now and is already technically at a pretty good spot, much better than you'd assume. He just needs, if you get a little bit of that extra push from either a great offensive line coach in the NFL, which we know there aren't a ton of, or a room like that where between Quinton and Ryan Kelly, you know, uh, Braden Smith on the other side, you've got guys that know how to do it and lead from the front on that. I, I think that helps him a lot. And like I said, if it's not week one, I think he's going to get on the field and help you during the course of this. season. Yeah, super interesting player. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Colts fans, you can't get mad at me. I said you would win the division. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't yell at me. All right. And I praise the Matt Ryan trade. So to no end. Now this is where I am. Constantly preemptively defending myself from imagined straw man attacks. That's that's kind of where we are now. The, the, the takes game's a tough place. <laughs> um, okay. 
Next question. I combine a bunch of questions in this question. Justin Ander asks, how do the Lions take a step forward this year, continuing moving towards a winning culture and also get Stroud or Young in the draft? Same question. Scott Barlow, S. Barlow, Rob, underscore Rob. What are the chances Lions win eight games? Jeremy Casperson, which five teams could or should intentionally tank, intentionally tank for Young and Stroud? So I think all these questions are fascinating when put together because they capture what I think is the difficult line the Lions are trying to walk here, which is, well, Justin Ander kind of put it best. How do you get better but not be too good <laughs> to avoid getting one of the better prospects in the NFL? Also, should that be a concern of yours at all or should you just try to get better and hope that, you know, get recognize that you can still potentially move up or make trades or might even be attractive to a free agent. I think these are all things that are really competing, um, I guess, incentives for NFL teams, especially now that we're at a moment where there's more quarterback mobility than ever, which is kind of shooken things up, right? Where it's not just like, oh, it's like, you know, Bryce Young or give up. It's like, oh, okay, Bryce Young or maybe someone else is going to be on the matter, you know? So like, just starting, let's just, let's just start with how good the Lions are going to be this year. And then we can kind of branch out into the other side of things. Um, so this is a team that I tend, I pray, praise their draft last week. I like their team building process kind of inside out. I like the fact that they've already got a nice O-line in play. I think they did a lot of really smart, not expensive things in free agency. So like offensively acquiring DJ Chark on a one-year deal while trading up for Jamison Williams, who has time to get healthy. This receiving group suddenly looks really fun with Amin Ross St. Brown. Uh, they bring back Josh Reynolds. Um, obviously, TJ Hawkinson is there. We discussed how the offensive line is already like totally decent, and of course, the run game as well. Defensely, awful defense, pardon me. Pass rush has been lackluster. You bring back Charles Harris, who was really a nice surprise. Um, you know, former top pick who many thought was kind of you know, on the decline, comes back, has a nice year with Detroit. And then, of course, you draft Aiden Hutchinson. The interior D-line is young and fun. Uh, and then you uh, just make a couple of under-the-radar signings. Mike Hughes, uh, Deshaun Elliott, who I thought was an underrated free safety in Baltimore. So what do you think? <laughs> like, how how like how do you view, before we get to other stuff, how do you view this team overall? Uh, I view this as a team whose floor started to move up this offseason because you just mentioned that I walked out of the draft. You look even later on in the draft, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's going to get it off the top. You were already ba uh, bringing back both the Quara brothers who I think, you know, are, are pretty physically imposing. If you especially if you can get Julian, your former third round pick to really continue to break out, you're going to be in a good spot. But like, Josh Pascal, who they got out of Kentucky yeah. in the second round, heavy-handed, very, very disruptive kid. So the message is clear. They want to beat the hell out of people up front on both sides of the ball. And so I think that always raises your floor. You're absolutely right about what this receiving group has become. And so I think as we've learned, like addressing how do you kind of balance all of these wants and needs – We've kind of learned looking out at a lot of organizations that tanking in the NFL might be a little more difficult than we've given it credit for, especially because it's so hard. You hear coaches talk about this all the time. It's really hard to turn off that losing mentality and really hard to wash that out. But in year one, with what they've been able to do here, with what Dan Campbell's been able to do, like they've taken on his personality really quickly. And so I think 
progress for them in year two looks like that. Can you go out there and continue to inflict pain on both lines of scrimmage and then just hope that Jared Goff remains like inconsistent overall underwhelming in a lot of instances? <laughs> and that could be your ticket to getting where you want to go because the rest of this is built up a pretty good. And to your point, the modern NFL now seems to be build up a solid landing spot for whatever rookie or disgruntled well, veteran quarterback may come on the market. I like, okay, let's hmm, like who are potential disgruntled quarterbacks next year um try to think of an obvious choice nobody really i mean you never know it always happens really quickly i don't know if kyler murray doesn't get a deal that strikes me as one right yeah. like so anyways sorry cards fans I don't, i'm not saying it's gonna happen i'm just trying to come up with an example off the, on the fly well um, i mean you could have like like think about like a ryan Tannehill next year maybe yeah but again then i mean i don't like, know what the money looks like there well and then you're like if you're the Lions, you're like, but we could have had CJ Stroud, you know? I don't know. But point is, we've seen in recent years, there have been guys who are available. Um, and I uh, I think this is an incredibly desirable landing spot. So all of a sudden, for a quarterback, I also think, to your point, um, because they are still so below average at quarterback, they're not going to be that great. Maybe they win more than we thought, but like this is definitely a situation where the quarterback is the... Now, this, I think this... Mm, okay, I, I would tie it between quarterback and then I think linebacker and corner is still a question. I mean, we'll see, you know, poor Jeff Okuda, right? Like the yeah. dude can't catch a break. So if he comes off this year and, you know, he tore his ace, uh, Achilles, pardon me, at the beginning of last season, right? And didn't play at all. If he manages to come back from that, and of course he was injured his first year as well, and is the guy we saw in college, that's a huge win for Lions fans. But right now, looking at the roster, I think, I know that they like um, Ar Amani Orarie, Yep, uh, who's been super solid for the other cornerback spot. But I do think that and then linebacker, still an issue. We'll see how much improved. We'll see if that interior D-line, which is you know like pretty young, takes a step forward. Offensively, though, like I think, God, this has been built really well. And oh, um, man. yeah, so I think the question then becomes, so that that's the free agent option or the trade option yep. the draft option. This is where it becomes, okay, is a bad quarterback and some dubious holes in the secondary enough to get you in the bottom five. And that's where I started just like listing teams. I think that are going to be in the bottom five. Uh, this is my, where I have the greatest potential to get old takes exposed. <laughs> if one of these teams is good, do you want to hear them? I'm going to throw in a bunch of um, like weird, caveats so that i can't get aggregated i'm doing it again there we go the preemptive <laughs> okay the preemptive strike okay and by the way these some of these teams i have praised their roster buildings so the texans obviously team i've praised though they're rebuilding the bears also yes that offense is going to be in hell um okay the falcons the Seahawks. That see, that's how you know I'm not a homer, people. All right. Slip that one in there. Ah, uh, this is 
the Panthers. Come on, yeah, the Panthers. Oh, God, yeah. The, listen, the Panthers, I mean, we're probably going to be dealing okay. with a new coach next year. There's going to be all sorts of things that go haywire with that situation. I think that one everyone can see coming. I think on the outside looking in, uh, the Giants and the Jets have the widest variance. It's all dependent on quarterback play. Like if they get yep. good, and we're going to talk about the Jets, if they get good quarterback play, there's no way they're, you know, they're actually like interesting, good teams. If they get bad quarterback play, they're still in this mix. Did I miss anyone obvious? The only other one that I would think about throwing in there is the Commanders. Just because uh, the Carson Wentz experiment yeah. could go horribly wrong and yeah. we kind of saw what that team looked like last year. So I would say, especially knowing that Carson's a real volatile stock, they could very much be in that conversation in the NFC East. Like you said, if the Giants are on the higher end of what they could be and you get Daniel Jones that gets the Brian Dable glow up, because I mean, Arrest, they're on the rest of that. Like I said, we'll talk about the, the New York teams to some extent, but there's decent bones on offense starting yeah. to emerge in some spots. And with Brian Dable, and we know what they're going to do offensively, you could see that. The commanders are one mm. where, especially after last year, I have a little bit tougher time gauging them. Yeah. I think the defense is going to bounce back on the commanders, but I agree with you. Um, yeah. So anyways, I don't know. When I name those bottom five teams, I'm like, okay. Do any, like, <sighs> I think the Lions could be better than all those teams. I've done this before. I've drank in the blue Kool-Aid, as they call it, in Detroit before. And I've been punished for it. Drank it. Drunk it. I've been Ooh, punished like. for it. That's, yeah, they, they, they do. They have memes of this. Oh, really? Well, I, that shouldn't shock me because Lions fans are among the most broken people on planet Earth. I, I truly feel bad for them because every Lions fan I've ever known like I think most fan bases are allergic to the idea of predicting their own success. Like I know I'm that way oh. with Notre Dame football, but the lions are just not even allergic to it. They are like directly appro- opposed to even thinking a positive thought in a situation where they know yes. the negative outcomes lurking around the corner. P. Every time I praise them, they get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I'm like, fair, fair. Fair. This is, you know. All right. A lot of Lions talk on this pod lately. I love it. Uh, I had to throw in this one because Cody Winters at Lego Buck Fan correctly wrote, I'm guessing the guess is Golik. Wow. And I want to know if you guys were ghosts, which team facility would you haunt any sport? So there's two ways to go about this. It really depends on what kind of ghost you are. Are you a vengeful ghost or are you just trying to li- like have a chill, fun ghost life where you're in a facility that you want to haunt? So let me throw it to you first. All right, I put a lot of thought into this one, and I'm going to be honest, I missed the any sport part, so now I feel like I've shortchanged myself, but this is an NFL pod. I've got some interesting options here because to your point, like I'm probably for the most part going to be like a nice, kind ghost who's hanging out there. I just want some interesting stuff to do. So this is my thought process. (laughs) I had five possible options here on this list. Atlanta. Pros are there are clearly already a bunch of ghost curse like shit happening down there with how Atlanta sports get down. So mm. you've got that. Their stadium has outlets everywhere. So your phone's always going to be charged. The bottom, the worst part about this is oddly enough, Arthur Blank and Arthur Smith, both in their own way, look like they have seen or still can see <laughs> ghosts. And so I worry about what those encounters are going to be like because I don't know how much me and Arthur Smith are going to have to talk about. Uh, um, pro, you get to eat Chick Fil A every day, but Sunday. Yes, also which, very true. Well, I don't know if ghosts which, eat. 
Well, food's going to be a factor in all of this because Lambeau is one of the other ones, like tons of history. I played my last football game ever there in the fourth preseason game. And like, I'm pretty sure I heard ghosts then. And they've got some pretty cool ones there. So, SoFi, new, tons of celebrities, close to the beach, like all that stuff. But I think where I centered on for my top two, Arrowhead would be on the list because, man, messing with Andy Reid would be so fun. I feel like he'd be the best ghost buddy movie guy. Great smells all around the building here. <laughs> Len da- also, in oh. researching for this, I found out Len Dawson is still alive. I was going to say it'd be awesome to rip a heater with the ghost of Len Dawson, but then I found out he's alive. So congratulations to Len. Um, I'm not going to lie. You put a lot more thought into this. than I, did. I was really excited about the ghost question, but to me, I, I found my answer. Oh. I want to go to Tampa. Raymond James, pirate ship, ghost in a pirate ship, bunch mm-hmm. of strip clubs. It seems like just an awesome place to be a dead guy. You could also just fire the cannons constantly to yes. mess with people. Um, so th- now, th- as you said, all the things you'd love to do, it's, for me, the question is further complicated by not knowing a lot about ghosts. Like, do ghosts eat a la Slimer in the Ghostbusters? Do they feel temperature? Like, all the things I think about experiencing yeah. joy in as a human, I don't know if those matter to ghosts. So I think I'm going to go with, like, ignoring those senses and only focusing on what you can definitely do as a ghost, which is mess with people and see things. And you're picking stadiums. Yes. Team facility. Mm. A little misreading there. It's fine. Um, I took creative liberties with that one. Yeah. I don't want to be, this is where I am going to be Homer and say, I would choose the VMAC because it's so beautiful. Have you ever been around there? You've seen, I haven't, the, you've no. seen the views though, right? Like oh, the yeah. water and stuff. So I'm really big on views. And I also think I'm uniquely equipped to mess with Pete Carroll. So, well, I feel like you just want to see inside whatever the hell's going on in their draft room and off season room to try and make sense of why every year it ends up being a running back <laughs> in the second round. Or I could use lift a marker and change it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody recently asked um like hey mina Kimes, like i think it was because kyle brandt did a announced a pick for the bills right and they're like yes oh mina are you gonna announce a pick ever for the seahawks and i'm like no they know i would change it <laughs> <laughs> she's gone rogue <laughs> oh actually uh the seahawks are not taking a running back or a off a linebacker here they're taking a cornerback <laughs> next question we were taking way too long of these. Uh, McAllister19801 asks, this is the Jets question. Can the Jets improve this year enough to make the AFC a toss-up? Can they make the playoffs? Too important. Uh, there's a big distinction there, right? Between making the playoffs and making the AFC's toss-up. Uh, thanks. Love the show. Say hi to Lenny. So I'm going to start the first. No, they cannot make it a toss-up. The Bills are going to win. <laughs> so uh, moving on. Can they make the playoffs? So this is where I think you get kind of interesting, right? Because we're talking about whether they can make as an expanded, the expanded playoffs, whether they can make it as a wild card team. So we have talked a lot about the improvements the Jets have made on this roster. Um, just kind of to remind people, offensively, obviously drafting Garrett Wilson. Now you got Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, super fun receiving group. They added CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin. I think that's really underrated as well. Um, and then defensively, um, drafted Jermaine Johnson. Carl Lawson comes back. Really, I think with Quinn Williams on the inside, Sheldon Rankins, it's going to be a really improved defensive front. And then in the secondary, really, they make, completely made it over. So you've got Ahmad Gardner, who to your um, relief is not wearing number 20. Am I right? 
Yes, it sounds like uh, it sounds like DJ uh, DJ Reed is going to let him wear one. I think I saw that exchange Whoa. happen on Twitter. So wow. it sounds like he is going to get his college number because Gardner tweeted to the Jets fans to not buy his twenty jersey and said he's going to wow. keep them posted. And then the tweet got deleted, but that wasn't before Reed went and quote tweeted it and said done deal. So I feel like that. And then uh, we saw the tweet from. Uh, I'm going to pull this up so I get it right, but saw the tweet earlier in the day from Reed, I believe, that said, uh, that posted him wearing the new number four. Yeah. I mean, four is cool too. Four is very cool. Four is very cool. Sauce's body type just demands a single digit. So I feel a lot better about the Jets after that. All right. So then on the inside, they signed Jordan Whitehead, uh, LaMarcus Joyner's also playing at safety. And then you mentioned DJ Reed. I think the secondary has the potential to take a real leap under Robert Sala with these additions. Um, offensively, I would I would say two things. Obviously, this comes down to Zach Wilson, right? Like, can he go from being one of the three worst quarterbacks in football by just about any metric? Jets fans now are screaming, he played better at the end of the year. I get that. I'm just saying. To playing at, I don't know, getting into that like 20 to 10 range somewhere. Um, a few thoughts about that, I guess. Part of the reason he struggled so much last year, this is no mystery to anyone who watched Jets football, is he struggled in the pocket. He held on the football way too long, uh, three seconds before throwing, which is the second longest in the NFL behind Jalen Hurts and a bunch of other guys who um, are like known dual or ahead of longer than guys who are known dual threats, which is never where you want to be in terms of time before passing. I know Zach can run, but he's not Lamar Jackson. Um, so there's that. Then there's the Mackay Becton of it all, which I kind of I got, I got it a little bit with Austin Gale. Like, what is going on at tackle here? Because I'm like, okay, you know, in some ways, like you really want him getting it out faster. And I think having receivers who are going to separate earlier is going to help a lot uh, along those lines. So in some ways, I actually think focusing on wide receiver over O-line, a la the Jamar Chase over Penny will move, I think it actually it, it, it will serve Zach well because of the specific way in which he struggled last year. How do you feel about him? And like, where do you see this Jets roster overall, depending on his play? Yeah, so he is definitely the swing state. All that's very true. I, I guess for me, it's twofold. Like one, you mentioned what's going on with Beckton. You know, they had Vera Tucker there, who I think is moving over to the right now that they signed Lake and Tomlinson. So it, it seems like as long as everyone's healthy and out there, that could continue to trend up. Like they run the, you know, stretched up the Shanahan tree stuff that certainly helps mitigate some of that effect and, and works to the Zach Wilson strengths. But I, I just mean, I guess even with the secondary improvement, which you're absolutely right, and especially for Salah's defense, like Jermaine Johnson's a perfect fit for that group. It all, it all is building in the right direction. I just wonder if they did enough compared to the rest of their counterparts in the division, right? Like New England still got the Patriot magic. Buffalo's going to be so far in front of everyone. Miami, like getting Teron Armstead is a huge deal. Like we talked about the Quentin Nelson effect on the Colts line. Teron Armstead is that kind of culture changer. The thing with him is, can he be on the field and be healthy long enough to affect that offensive line in the ways they could, because he's the best offensive lineman they've had since they let what uh, since they traded what's his name to Houston um, years ago. So this is that kind of improvement. Tyree Kill is that kind of game changer in an already track star like receiving core, 
and so I guess just all of those things lumped in there, I'm wondering if they made enough progress relative to their peers, unless, you know, we really get like a Zach Wilson jump that might not just be into that top 20 range. It might have to be beyond that to overcome the rest of this division. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think at this point, we got to go back to what we said earlier, which is we're talking about the AFC. Um, so even when we're talking about them not necessarily winning the division, but being one of the wildcard teams, I mean, the entire freaking AFC West might make the playoffs. So like, right. uh, you know, it's like, even if I think as a Jets fan, like you just want to see him play better, you know, you know, don't worry about the playoffs this year. Like just get, get him to average and then you can have faith in the next jump. You know what I mean? Just like, I think, um, no need to, uh, you know put the cart before the horse here. Right. I think if you walk out of this season and your young core all walks out healthy, you don't have any injuries that are major setbacks to any of the young guys you're building with. And Zach Wilson takes the kind of step you talked about. That is kind of like in Detroit and it's, you know, in a different way where the quarterback's involved in this. That to me is how you've got to measure success at this point, because you were too bad for anything to be a quick enough fix with that roster. Exactly. And then when you look at the other, you know, uh, 2021 quarterbacks around the NFL, like you arguably upgraded around yours the best, which, you know, tip the hat. So I think that that's the most important outcome. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm really excited to see. Um, like I said, I do think like getting, focusing on pass catcher for him is especially with those tight ends too. That's a kind of flying under the radar a bit. Um, I think it's going to really help. So, all right, last question before we take a break. Uh, this is a really good one. Organism 46B, quite a name, uh, at me. I wonder who's Organism 46A. Uh, it got me thinking. Um, I've heard Move the Sticks, a.k.a. the great Daniel Jeremiah, talk about NFL teams going the college route with quarterbacks, play for five years, draft another instead of reciting. Which, by the way, doesn't really, like, we often throw that out as, like, a thing teams should do. Famously, Bill Barnwell kept encouraging the Rams to do it with Jared Goff. And then they kind of did it in a way, but not the way that he initially intended well, what if teams decided to do that with receivers? Looking at which teams did what teams did with letting go of them this year, it's fair to wonder. So he is alluding, of course, to teams like, um, well, a bunch of teams got young at wide receiver. The Chiefs trade away Tyree Kill. Uh, the in the, the draft Sky Moore. The Titans trade away AJ Brown. They draft Traylon Burks. Uh, the Packers trade away Devonte Adams. That was a little bit complicated, uh, but they ultimately draft um, Christian Watson. And then you've got, you know, several other teams um, taking quarterbacks at the top of the draft, but those ones are not teams that were trading away. That's kind of like your Detroit's um, or Saints, yada, yada. So I guess let me ask you, like, do you, when you see those moves and those teams getting younger, do you think there's anything to this? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of hard not to ignore what, at this point with the sample size that we have, indicates a pattern in this. And this is one that actually kind of makes sense, right? Because what have we seen holistically from the bottom up in the football ecosystem for a while at the you know youth level, high school level, and college level was this move to these spread offenses that far predated it being accepted widely in the NFL or used widely in the NFL. So you've got this sort of, I think, log jam of incredibly talented players. You had some of the blue chip programs like Alabama making the move towards being a program that uses mm -hmm. multiple receivers and doesn't just throw 100 plus balls to the Amari Coopers of the world change the trajectory for that. So now you're getting these programs with pedigree that used to be built one way, especially inside the SEC, and they're turning into these factories that are also running these high end spread offenses. You're getting so many players that 
of funneled to those positions because running back wasn't profitable anymore. So you've got more guys occupying those slot roles that might have been similar body types. And so I, I think just when you do the math on the way football's evolved, it makes a ton of sense. And with the quality of quarterback that you have right now in the NFL, I'm sure this is a move that usually the rich are going to make, meaning the rich in quarterback talent like the Chiefs, that say, all right, yeah, we believe that our guy is enough value over replacement that we can afford to take a little step back in youth because it's easier for wide receivers to get on the field earlier and have an impact than it used to be. And we've got the quarterbacks that can bridge that. Yeah, I think there's kind of like a bottom-up thing happening and then a top-down thing happening. And you kind of, you really got at the bottom-up part of this, which is wide receivers are better, right? Because of the things happening at the very lowest levels of football. I mean, if you just look at the last four drafts, not including the latest one. Um, so 2018, DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley. And then you got Cortland Sutton as the first second rounder. 2019, Marquise Brown, Nikhil Harry, that one's a little bit iffier. But then at the top of the second, you get Debo Samuel and AJ Brown. 2020, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk. And then you got Higgins and Pittman, uh, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman at the top of the second. And then last year, uh, of course, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Darius Tony is the one, and then Rashad Bateman at the top of the second. That is a remarkable hit rate for wide receivers, right? Like, not when they're not all superstars, like they're not all Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, but there's a lot of real wins in there, I think, for the reason you just described. Um, so that's the bottom-up component, which is that teams are saying, hey, we're more likely to hit now on a young wide receiver. Then there's the top-down thing, and I think that's where, where this also kind of takes on an interesting level, which is, wide receiver contracts exploding this particular year. Um, you know, Bill Barnwell yeah. did an excellent piece about how this kind of all flowed from the Devont uh, the, the D Andre Hopkins trade and what he got paid and new money and how that became the standard. And then suddenly you've got guys like Devontae uh, Adams and Tyree Kill, AJ Brown, everyone basically getting Christian Kirk, <laughs> Christian Kirk. <laughs> he, he didn't hit 20, but a lot of guys, Mike Williams is one that like weirdly kind of slipped under the radar. You got a mega contract. So you got a lot of guys making a ton of money, which of course incentivizes teams to say, well, we can get like a cheap version. Maybe he's not quite as good, but he ain't going to cost that, right? I think there's another thing though you have to consider, which is like you got to look at the specific cases here. So I'm going to read you the top 2022 cap hits for quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill, I think it's 38 million. Yeah, he's got the most. Traded away A.J. Brown. Drafted Traylon Burks. Patrick Mahomes traded away Tyree Kill. Drafted Sky Moore. Uh, Kirk Cousins. They've got Justin Jefferson, who's already on a rookie deal. Jared Goff. They were able to uh, get uh, Jameson Williams on a rookie deal. Aaron Rodgers traded away Devontae Adams. Now they have Christian Watson. So I think... Now the Packers, of course, were reportedly willing to pay Adams, which I believe, but... I think a lot of this has to do with the specific teams just having really, really highly paid quarterbacks and it speaks to the challenge of having both a very highly paid quarterback and a highly paid wide receiver because of how expensive wide receivers have gotten. No, it makes a ton of sense. And, and, and Mina, you would probably know this more or better than I would, but I wonder how much this is also affected by the fact that the cap didn't jump that much during the pandemic year. Like we had all that talk mm. about that. Did it level off to a place where it's more back on track to what it was going to be? Or 
are we still seeing a cap that might be relative to like what the trajectory would have been if you not had a global pandemic? It's going, it's going to go up. It's, it's going up. So I think it's like, okay, well, like, like the Packers, for example, you could restructure deals to fit Devontae Adams, right? There's things you could have done to make that work. Um, I just think teams are weighing the opportunity cost of the rookie with versus not just a, a highly paid wide receiver, but the combination of a highly paid wide receiver and a highly paid quarterback, which to your point, you know, quarterbacks, like their, their team saying, well, it's Patrick Mahomes. So we really need Tyree Kill. Like maybe we should invest elsewhere. And I also think it's knowing, by the way, like the, you, when you look at where those teams went, Tyree Kill goes to a team with a quarterback on a rookie contract. A.J. Brown goes to a team with a quarterback on a rookie, rookie, rookie contract, a wookie contract. A wookie co- <laughs> so Devontae Adams is uh, the exception there, but that, that one I almost want to throw out because it was so weird too, because of the, I think that was more about like preference than anything to some, you know, and, um, yeah. but anyways, I just think all these things like are happening at the same time. And like kind of the result is this interesting trend and we'll see. I mean, the, the wide receivers aren't going to get worse. Like we've seen the numbers like, you know, double digits, two rounds, yada, yada. that's not changing. So I think, this is the beginning of how that impacts roster allocation in the NFL and which teams are willing to pay wide receivers. And the best part about it is those wide receivers are still getting paid somewhere because we root for everyone to get their money. Yes, sir. All right, let's take a quick break and come back. Uh, I have to take a quick break so I get my money, which is from advertisers, uh, with a very, very important NFL question. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H. O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right. Oh, it's Lizette backwards. It's going to handle. Who is your favorite TV show character of all time? I narrowed it to a top five. And then I had four outside looking in. Are you ready to hear my list? Or actually, let me hear yours. I am. No, you go first. 
All right. Um, I went with, I believe, one, two, three, four, five. So I've got, uh, I'll do like the college football playoff where I've got the top four and then the first two uh, out on the outside looking in. Um, I will go, and this is, I'm going to say in no particular order because I don't know if I could pick a favorite out of this bunch. Um, I'll start with our shared love of Halt and Catch Fire, and I'll go Gordon from that one. I always, had a, I always had a big, yeah, I always had a soft spot for Gordon. I, I thought there was a lot in there. I thought, obviously, he was in the middle of some personalities that really squashed him out a lot of times. Obviously, he had a ton of low moments, but I, I don't know. I just always ended up coming back to him as sort of like a weird North Star in that series. Yes, I think it, that's totally fair. Um, number two on this one in, from the Breaking Bad slash Better Call Saul universe, Kim Wexler. I, I, especially in Better Call Saul, like the Jimmy transition to Saul Goodman alongside Kim, who, again, you talk about the moral compass of a show who still makes all these sacrifices. I haven't yet watched an episode of the new season round, the final season, but uh, Kim is just one that over time in a show that's been full of such familiar characters from Breaking Bad, she's been the addition in this one that I think has been a massive value add. And again, like the moral compass in a show where really there aren't a lot of like good or bad guys. There's just people and circumstances. Hmm. Okay. I haven't watched it. That's why I just said, hmm. <laughs> a good, a good hum though. Um, Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister. Mm. Again, same thing. I thought incredibly well acted, obviously. Dynamic yeah. character. Really gets at what the series, which is about, you know, family dynasties, the politics, how you play all those things when you're someone not born with comparatively as much power. Um, rounding out that top four, I would go, and this is the one that I, I was like the lightning bolt that hit me late because I had forgotten this one. Mike O'Malley as Kurt's dad in the show Glee. Now, I don't know if you were like me and mainlining Glee content through the first three seasons, but Mike O'Malley, uh, Kurt on the show was the um, the young character, you know, uh, the young gay character on the show, male character. And Mike O'Malley played his dad. And like, oh, everyone I knew remember Mike O'Malley. this now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. He, like, you know, we knew Mike O'Malley is the Rick and all these things from like his past, especially around the world of sports. And he just played this role with like an unbelievable sincerity. He was always like, a source of, you know, as we talk later about Schitt's Creek, which will be represented in here, about a show that sort of normalized sexuality in not addressing it, not having these broad sweeping lessons. I, I thought Mike O'Malley bridged the gap on that about as well as anyone could in that instance. So that rounds out the top four. Five and six are um, Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, because obviously, and then mm -hmm. Stevie from Schitt's Creek, um, her performance of Cabaret in that show on its own, and that episode are worth her being involved in this list. Sometimes I think you and I have so much in common, and then sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I realize we're really different people. Okay. I, I also have a top five. Uh, so obviously, Lisa Simpson, my patron saint, um, Coach Taylor. Kenny Powers, also my patron saint. Selena Meyer, who is a horrible person, but one of the funniest characters on TV of all time on Veep. And then I went Arya Stark instead of Tyrion. Uh, I, Tyrion, I think, is like the more entertaining character and moments. And I think early on, especially, but in terms of like the arc over the course of the series, I got to go Arya. Outside looking in, uh, I have Jonah on Veep. I went two Veep characters. Um, kind of similarly, Roman on Party Down. If you've never seen Party Down, please go watch Party Down immediately. Um, Carrie Coons in Fargo season three. I love Carrie Coons in anything, but, um, oh shit. You know what? I'm changing it to Carrie Coons in the leftovers. 
uh, Ruth and Ozark, I think is just one of the best characters of all time. I know you haven't watched Ozark. Um, I'll throw Tyrion on my outside looking list because he's a really fantastic character. God, Kenny Powers was such a great addition. And now I feel like a mm. fool for leaving out like one, one of his characters in any role. But Kenny Powers, I mean, is really the Iconic. archetype for every, you know, every Danny McBride character that's ever. Existed. Also, like foresaw the next 10 years of American history in ways <laughs> yes. we don't need to get into. All right. Back to football. Uh, I combine these two questions because they're both, well, they're not both about Baker Mayfield, but uh, at John Gillum six asks, would signing J- Baker Mayfield or Jimmy G get you to watch the Seahawks this season? Arkansas gang 870 asks, with almost every team having quarterback for the future and gang of talent at quarterback in next year's draft, do you see Baker Mayfield even in the league in three years? Okay. So I'll start with the Seahawks one because I think this kind of cuts back to the whole Lions thing, which is like, what do you want to do as a franchise? How bad do you want to be? Do you want to be entertaining? What, you know? undoubtedly, I'm just going to plant my flag here. Either of those quarterbacks would make it easier to watch the Seahawks this year. I feel very comfortable saying that. Um, I also think, I I would say Jimmy G. Boy. I think Baker, to me, would probably be more entertaining because I feel like we have a really strong sense of who Jimmy G is now. And I think with Baker, some would argue that we do, but I would contend that his character, career has been just so all over the place and there's been so many confounding factors and the injuries and the coaches or whatever. There's probably, there is some upside there. I think that is still a mystery. So I don't, but here's where it gets tough, Mike. I don't know if I want them to do it because I don't know how bad I want them to be. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point in all this. Cause you're right. Interesting versus good and bad is <sighs> The, the the interesting part of this, because you're right, Baker Mayfield, I just want him there because he seems as close to the polar opposite of Russell Wilson as you can get. Like the <laughs> notion of him and... Same body. Yes, that is true. Same, <laughs> very similar same body. body. Mm-hmm. But like him interacting with Pete Carroll, who's like so famously uber positive, would be incredible. <sighs> um, I think I lean towards just like letting it ride this year. I've been coming up with tank slogans uh, lose aloud for Stroud. Um, mm. Be not nice for Bryce. Sac- no, sacrifice parentheses twenty twenty two for Bryce is the one that I that I like. It doesn't well, really. I like. Uh, I was thinking about this one. It's a little bit long winded, but walk with me. Everyone always has that phrase. You know, if you listen to the fans, soon you'll be sitting to them. Listen to the crowd for Stroud. Yeah, yeah. Maybe heed the maybe. crowd for Stroud. Oh, there it is. That kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit. Yeah. Play like dung for young. Okay. Anyways, if you're listening and you have good suggestions, please reply to my tweet for this episode. Um, Oh, and then the other question was, do you see Baker Mayfield in the league? I mean, he should be, right? Like, this is not a Johnny Manziel situation. Like, we've seen him play at a high level, and I think he will be. But the question of whether he will be a starter, of course, is highly contingent on where he ends up playing over the next two years. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a starter in three years, but... He's going to be in the league. He's a former number one overall pick. Blaine Gabbard is still cashing checks right now in the NFL. Like they find a place for these guys who were highly drafted in this spot. I know people might point to the Baker personality stuff, but like in general, like there's some level of that that over time evens out. If all of a sudden we find him not being a starter in the in the NFL this year, and then it's you know everyone's got to make that decision of are they going to be comfortable easing into that backup role? I think he could, and I think he'll be in the league. Uh, this is not to defend Baker Mayfield, but the um, combination of 
rumors about or whispers of him not getting another chance because his personality juxtaposed with Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland is quite the referendum on the NFL. Moving on. Mm. Marfius M. uh, Okay, so I, I combine these. Asks, what's the single most important thing the Bills have to do to beat the Chiefs? Do God's voice. Josh Ray A. Asks, what else do the Bills have to do to make the Super Bowl besides not having to play in Kansas City? So I just kind of threw this as like, okay, who's better? <laughs> All mm. right, that's how I want to think about it. Um, so I decided to do it because they're my one-two in the AFC. Are they your yep. one-two? Okay. Absolutely. I would say especially after the Chiefs draft and I think some other things that might still happen with the Chiefs. So then the the Bills also had a really great offseason, which I've talked about a lot. So I'm going to go coach, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, O-line, front seven, secondary. So let's start. And So I want you to tell me who you pick and I'll tell you who I pick. And then we'll add them up. All right. Coach. Chiefs. Agreed, but it's not that far off. I'm a huge fan no, of Sean McDermott and what I think he's done. But I, I win Chiefs as well. Quarterback. Chiefs. I won't draw here. Chiefs has a game match. You know what? That, I mean, that's, but that's not crazy, though, either. Like, what Josh Allen's done is insane. And physically, you could argue he's even more gifted than Pat. This might be recency, but I mean, Pat's been good longer. But my last memory of watching these quarterbacks play is Josh Allen going super soldier. And then my last memory of watching Patrick Mahomes play is him really struggling. However, that's unfair. So I went draw. Okay, running back. Interesting. I went Buffalo on this. Really? I went Chiefs on this. Tell me why you went Buffalo. Here, let me put the Bills stuff chart. Yeah, I'm doing the same right now, actually. Had them up when I made the I- choices, people. I, I, I also did, and then I had to close out because I had a million tabs open getting ready for the show. But I, I'd say this. I, I like Devin Singletary a lot. I think James Cook is a really nice pick, especially given what that offense does with um, the running back as a pass catcher, potentially. You know, Zach Moss now buried on that depth chart, but I still think there's a good player in there. Like, I, I just think overall there's better depth in there. Devin Singletary is really good in the top end, and you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a very good back, but I don't think he's markedly better enough for me to all of a sudden say that the entirety of that room gets outweighed. So I went Buffalo. <sighs> you might have convinced me. So the Chiefs have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Ronald Jones, Derek Gore. I like that group. I also think that they, and Buffalo used to be like this, were have been underperforming because of the scheme and how they've been utilized. And I think that's going to change this year based on everything the Chiefs have done and kind of things I'm hearing. But you you know what? I'm going to give – I think you might be right about the Bills just being deeper. Okay, uh, wide receiver, I suspect we're in agreement here. Bills. Yes, Bills on on this one. Although, like, I don't know. I I sat around and just because of like, well, is this wide receiver or this is pass catchers? Oh, I, I split up wide receiver and tight end. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Then, yeah. Wide receiver. Well, tip. you know, but that's no, stupid. No we should we should we should look at them as pass catchers. So I'll read the. Uh, so on the Chiefs side of the ring, you have got Miko Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore, Marquez Val Marquez Marquez, right? Valdez Scantling, yeah. and um, Travis Kelsey, with some you know backups behind him. On the Bills side, you got Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Jameson Crowder, uh, Isaiah McKenzie. They drafted Khalil Shakir. That's a fun group. 
Uh, and then you've got Dawson Knox and OJ Howard. I think on net, you got to go Bills, even though Travis Kelsey is obviously better. Yeah, Travis Kelsey makes it very close for me. I would... Mm. Would you change your... Okay, wait, wait, wait. What if OBJ signs with the Chiefs? Or Julio? If OBJ signs with the Chiefs, I would absolutely pick Kansas City. I think it's that... Honestly, you know what? I'm going to stand my ground. I think it's the Chiefs. I think once you include Travis Kelsey in there, Valdez yeah. Scantling fits what they does. I think Juju, like, I know this move came a year later than we expected. No, I, but I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. He's a different kind of receiver than they've had. And then the Sky more fit now that you've got Tyreek gone with, like, a true burner like that. Maybe I'm projecting some and maybe I'm letting the Mahomes and, like, the Andy Reid, no. you know, offense factor too much. But I think I'm going Chiefs. These are really good players. And then finally, offensive line. Um, I will cede the ground to the expert. Uh, I went Chiefs on this one. Yeah, I, I think Chiefs what the, the job they did last year, they built such a great young core. I mean, you've got two starters now that are going to be on rookie deals. It's just, I, you know, obviously uh, Smith will be longer because he was, you know, ended up being undrafted, but they did a phenomenal job. They, they I mean, basically remade it in one offseason. So they win. Good depth, too. I think the, the Bills are super solid. Um, and then having Ryan Bates at right guard helps in terms of like offseason. Um, bringing back Mitch Morris, of course, Roger Saffold going. I mean, that it, they're super solid. I just think the Chiefs have a slight edge. Okay, defensively, I, I just went front seven, and this was closer than I thought. I went Bills. I also went Bills on this one. Close, though, right? I, close. Surprisingly close. I will say, I really liked the Karloftis pick and where it was for the Chiefs. Like, you and I talked about him a lot before the draft. I think in this class of edge rusher, a lot of people overrated him in my mind. He is good enough to get to the spot, but not often good enough to make the plays. But I think with who you've already got on there, he landed in a good spot. And I still think especially like run defense wise, he's going to yeah. be a plus add there. And certainly he's not going to have the bulk of eyes on him in a line that still features Chris Jones and, you know, whatever Frank Clark offers you at this point. But I, I thought from where they got him, that was a decent pickup for that front seven. And, you know, Last year, you had gotten really good production from Nick Bolton at linebacker and that pick there. So I, it was a little closer, but Buffalo wins that one, especially with Vaughn. Yeah, I think linebacker, which used to be such a weakness for the Chiefs, has turned into potentially an area of strength with Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton and then adding another thumper in Leo Chanel. Just love that pick. Um, but I just think this Bills front seven it, or is really deep. Obviously, so, so you got Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones on the inside, Tim Settle now. At Edge Rush, you added Vaughn Miller, and then you still have all of that youth with Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and Boogie Basham. That's a good group. And then linebacker, um, you know, Tremaine Edwin, Edmonds and Matt Milano. It's not as now it's pretty close, but I think just overall, gonna go Bills there. And then secondary uh, feels like a pretty no brainer, Bills. Yes. Yeah. We don't have to spend too much time on that one. <laughs> all right. So, what's the verdict, sir? So I believe by my count, I have Chiefs with head coach, quarterback, pass catchers, and O-line, which is four. And then I have the Bills with running backs, front seven, and secondary. So Chiefs win. So not assigning equal weight to all these things, I guess. I think the Bills are the better team. I think coach and quarterback are reasonably close now. I think they've got better wide receivers, and then I think they've got a better defense. That said, I totally think the Chiefs can beat them. So this is not, this is hella close. Um, but right now in the Mina Kimes power rankings, I've got the Bills number one. And the question I was, think that's, yeah. 
what's the single most important thing they have to do, not give ground, give the entire field in 13 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Simple. Sorry. Trigger. Uh, trigger warning, rather. Okay. A uh, couple more questions. I think this one is really interesting as well. I know it's a team I have been talking about, but it's a different kind of question. Uh, Will of House Will, William Santiago, asks, how do you think the Ravens offense look going forward and how does this affect Lamar's contract situation? So kind of conventional wisdom, I guess, after the Ravens draft and sort of the moves they've made generally this offseason, trading away Marquise Brown, uh, focusing on tight end, an offensive line in the draft um, suggests that they want to go back to 2019. And why wouldn't you want to go back to 2019? You ranked first overall in offense, first in pass DBA, first in run DBA. Um, that offense, you know, under offensive coordinator Greg Roman, very run heavy, uh, very 12, 13, 22 personnel heavy, fullbacks, tight ends, blocking tight ends, move to all, all of that on the field. Um, I would say the fact that they took two tight ends in this draft instead of taking a uh, you know, wide receiver there uh, is pretty telling. Um, so I think that's what it looks like. I guess my question to you is like, do you think before we get to the Lamar of it all, do you think it'll work? Um, yeah. I mean, I think we've, I think we've seen it work well enough. And like you and I have talked a fair amount about, and I thought you pointed this out. I forget if it was last season or the season before when they suffered the rash of offensive line injuries all at once, but they remade themselves so much schematically that now you've got all that to draw on for the most part. And you're going to be doing it with the best unit physically you've had in a while here. So yeah, I think it'll work pretty well. Cause like at the heart of it all, like their system, as much as it's about, you know, guys being in motion and big bodies creating variables, it's about at the core of it, having an athlete playing at the quarterback position. That's just light years better than the people he's going against and creating a mismatch every time. Like, in the middle of it all is the my better is better than your better part. You know, and, and I think that the offensive line is so important to this team. So important. And not just in the run game. Um, I think the, the crazy thing about Lamar is like, it doesn't, yes, the threat of him, the, th- the overall threat of the run game certainly opens up opportunities for the pass game, right? Um, but Another thing I remembered was just like he was really good out of empty and then really struggled. And that is the offensive line. And um, also, I think him putting the entire team on his back, especially last year, like something that caught my eye when I was just kind of looking at some of the the trends over the last three years in. Um, I mean, so since that 2019 offense, by the way, they just gone down, down, down. I think third in rushing 20. So first in rushing in 2019, third in 2020, 11th in 2021. Uh, 17th passing both 2021. But the thing that really jumped out to me, Mike, is um, I think there would be assumption, well, so much of this is because their uh, passing game is centered around play action. But in 2019, they ranked eighth in EPA per play off of play action and first in the NFL when they did not use play action. On straight dropbacks, Lamar Jackson was the most efficient passer in football. That fell off a cliff. Wow. And that, to me, just speaks to what happened when this offensive line fell apart over the last two years. And so, like, again, the run game matters so much and opens up so much of what they do. And it's like a huge part of their offense. And they're able to do things in the run game that just no other team can do in the NFL. But I think something we might be underestimating is how good that passing game, both traditional and otherwise, was in 2019. Yeah, well, and and you talk about the demise of that offensive line. Like, obviously, retirement was part of that. But 
you know, in 2019, Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, who, you know, last season tried to come back, that ankle just wasn't fully in the right place yet. But that 2019 season, I I remember talking to a lot of people before that year that thought Ronnie had, you know, been playing at a Pro Bowl level for a while, had been starting to get, he finally ascended to that spot where we were having like a top three tackle in the NFL conversation with him. And the way it affects that offensive line is all is you know obviously noteworthy. And so if he's back at a hundred percent, that's a legitimate game changer before you even get to some of the other acquisitions there. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about with the Ravens is so like, you know, this is a team that invested a lot in the offensive line, adding uh, Morgan Moses uh, at right tackle. Um, they drafted Daniel Falele at one ten overall, who's like very Ravensy looking size wise. Uh, oh, God, yes. Th- I think the pick that like people were a little bit divided over, we kind of got into this last week, it was Tyler Linderbaum at 25. Um, you know, consensus number one center in the class, brilliant a- in Iowa, but, you know, it is about as zone-centric of a center, and that partially is because he came from Iowa, of course, um, which that's what they do, as any, t- as any center I can think of. Um, you know, pretty small size. How do you view him in the context of this offense? And do you think the offense, the run game in particular, has to change around his skill set? So I don't think so necessarily. Like I saw it as an indicator that, well, maybe there will be more outside zone involved in this offense because we've seen plenty of it with the Ravens before. We know that's easy to incorporate with the things that they want to do still. And it's obviously like what he is best at. So I thought, all right, you've got the clear best zone center in this draft. That might be some sort of indicator, but you mentioned this to me too. And I, I think it's, it's worth noting about, you know, you look at inside. All right. If you're going to be running some of these heavier run schemes, when people hear gap scheme runs, you know, it's just thick double teams on the inside of all this. Tyler Linderbaum is, you know, six, two and a half, 290. Like he's, he's not a big guy and lower body wise, he's not going to blow you away with anything, but Kevin Zeitler's built like a keg next to him. (laughs) Tyree Phillips is gigantic at left guard next to him. And so like there's going to be plenty of help and he comes from, and I think this is so important along the offensive line, pedigree programs where this guy came to college as a defensive lineman and converted to offensive line and learned all this technique during his time at Iowa. And because that's a place that technically develops these dudes so well, wrestling background, all these natural things about leverage, I think because of that, you've got a guy that I'm pretty confident is going to be able to learn what you're teaching him there. And in this scheme is going to have help in how he gets it done, which you pointed out to me and I think is really worthwhile. Um, the blue chip offensive lineman thing, I think it was Hembo, Paul Hembo. That's a short nickname. Who's a producer on get up, sent me like a list of, um, the positions taken in the first round and how more how likely they are to get second contracts and center was number one. Now some of that is just sample size, but um, you know, like I think like there's certainly a, a large degree of certainty and you know, teams aren't reaching on centers in the first round and they tend to work out. So we'll, we'll see how it, it goes. It is know? a position where you like as someone who played center, you get a ton of help. Like, I yeah. went to rookie camp with the Steelers, and they put me at right tackle after a college career playing center and guard, and that is scary as shit. Being on the inside, you got help everywhere. Big guys helping you with stuff. You're hardly ever singled up. It's awesome. So that's not super shocking. You're right. Next question comes from Bubba, Mr. Rager. 
Which succession character would make the best U.S. president? It's got to be Shiv, right? I mean, she's a political animal, so she can, like, negotiate things behind closed doors. And she was the only member of the Roy family who opposed a fascist. <laughs> right. Like, she's the only one that's even close to morally defensible in all this. So, yeah. Terrible person, I would, by the way. But, you know. Of course. But, you know, I, I, I don't need that. I need to know what you're going to get done. And you're right. I mean... There is not another Roy that I could even fix my lips to say with any sort of like defensible notion behind it. Maybe before the fascist thing, I would have picked Roman because I like him so much. (laughs) He'd have been entertaining. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I could see him as like a Boris Johnson type. Um, Okay. Just two more quick questions. Just a guy 97 asks, who do you see challenging the Rams and Bucks in the NFC? So uh, I'm going to throw out... One, two, three, four, five teams. Let me know if how you would rank them. Packers, yep. Saints, Cowboys, Eagles, Niners. NFC <laughs> so bad. You have I, you have the appropriate question marks after the appropriate teams, though. Am I leaving anyone out? Honestly, I don't think so. Like the furthest, the furthest reach down on that that I'd be comfortable going with you is like Philadelphia slash San Francisco. It's like, it's that cross. Cause I think new Orleans, like that one is pretty much all about the defense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that defense I, I think projects to be really rock solid again. Like green Bay is an obvious answer in there. I know Devonte has gone, but Aaron Rodgers and what that team's done, like what Gooden has though. built. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, God, they spend enough first round draft capital on it. Don't we go over that every year? So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think Philly's as far down as I'm willing to go and say is realistic. Yeah. I think Dallas is like, can we get the old Dak Prescott back? If so, yes. Um, and the Niners is like, can Trey Lance make the leap? Because the rest of the roster is really good. Final question. Aaron, well, before my questions, uh, Aaron Goody asks, Aaron Goodmanson, a hypothetical question, hypothetical question for your guest who is not Jalen Hurts. If you went to Disney World with someone, would they be your unquestioned wide receiver? One, again, completely hypothetical. So I think this is a question for Jalen Hurts that's um, not actually that's pretending to not be a question for Jalen Hurts. Uh, so I did a little spin zone on it because you were unfortunately the guest and not Jalen Hurts. Which wide receiver in your eyes would be the most fun to go to Disney World with? So this one's tough because I think it would be a little bit of work because he's going to want to do maybe a little more, but I want someone who is going to go to Disney world and want to have the requisite amount of fun. Like someone who's actually going to be a kid with me about stuff. And I feel like Juju would be the one like Juju's going to be a great time. He might bring bougie, his French bulldog, which would be awesome walking around Epcot. So I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. He's rich. Um, Are you down to participate in TikToks though? Well, and that's the thing is like, I won't have to set them up. So I'm like, I'm game for most anything. And if that's the tax for like, also, you know, we'll probably get to the front of line because we got Juju Smith-Schuster with us because he's not even the football player because he is an influencer. So I feel like the cost benefit analysis is worth having to do a couple of weird TikTok dances. Well, so my position on TikTok from professional experience is I'll do anything that's not a dance. And as long as I don't have to plan it. So if you need me to like do a weird walk or stand in place while something funny happens, totally down. Laura Rutledge, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Crushing TikTok. And she knows that. So she never asked me to do anything weird. And I also trust her judgment in- implicitly. Um, 
Okay. I Wait, who go, are you going with? Yeah. I would go with Keenan Allen. Here's why. He's super nice and funny. He's super competitive. So he wouldn't just be like, um, after one ride, he would want to go on every ride and he, went on, he would want to crush every ride. He would fit, want to do the fast passes, all of it. And I'm not going to Disney World just to go on like four rides. So I think he'd be a perfect blend of like fun, but not, you know, just like chilling. No, that one makes a ton of sense. Him, like he was not necessarily near the top, but same vibe, like Devontae Adams was the second name I wrote down for that same reason. Yeah. Like clearly he can deal with a lot, hence the last couple of seasons in Green <laughs> Bay. And he's also got really sharp, pointy elbows, which I feel like are good for boxing people out to get in line better. <laughs> he would be really good too. Another one I threw out is Chris Godwin because he's just always smiling. <laughs> I've never seen, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, he just always looks like he's having a good time. All right, as always, now my turn for questions. Dinks and dunks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Five questions overall, four from me, one from Lenny. Question one. What is, you talked a little bit about transitioning from doing radio to podcasting. What is the easiest part of podcasting versus doing radio? The easiest part of podcasting is knowing that I can mess up and someone else will fix the mistake. Like I've already sounded smarter than I ever did on radio because you can catch me slipping at any time. I could mess up a heart out. Like there are no, there are no defined edges to this. This is a much easier coloring book. Shout out to a producer. Well, co-host slash editor Brandon for for keeping me honest. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Question number two, Russell Wilson got a new dog, looked like a golden doodle, probably not adopted. No big deal, not casting judgment, just pointing it out. Named Bronco was all over NFL Twitter yesterday. Seahawks Twitter had a lot to say. My question for you is, if Russell Wilson leaves the Broncos, what happens to the dog? Ooh, that's a good question. Because like, I don't know, I feel like you... No, I think you got to ride it out. Like you can't confuse the dog like that. I, I like who like we we assume this is going to last at least a couple of years. So the dog's formative years are going to be spent being Bronco. And I know, like I'm sure you do the thing like I do, where any dog I've ever owned or any dog our family's ever known has like five different pet names that you call. Like does mm-hmm. Lenny? Do you call Lenny other things besides Lenny? Yeah, like but they all have Len in them. Mm, okay. Nothing like that random, would, like Tex. 
<laughs> like, I, well, I, I guess, I guess that's the point. Like, we have a black pug named Harry, and I call him Geraldine sometimes for no reason. Like, it's just how it's worked out. So, if I was Russ, I'd start laying the groundwork on a couple of those that you could major in should this go wrong. Or alternative, he could send Bronco to live with me, and we could bond over being abandoned by Russell Wilson. <laughs> Damn, that one still hurts, huh? Bronco, open invitation. Okay, question number three. We talked about Tyler Linderbaum, non-Tyler Linderbaum version. What was your favorite offensive line pick of the draft? Ooh, um, Zion Johnson going out to the Chargers. I, I, I hadn't watched a ton of BC during the college football season this year. I didn't have have them in a game, and I didn't have a team that overlapped with them much. That guy, and I mean, his career, he was another guy, started off at a smaller school, transferred, and just grew and grew into his body. I think him, along with Rashawn Slater and what they're starting to build out there, is really exciting. He's got an awesome base. When his hands get latched onto you, the play tends to be over. So there's a drill called mirror dodge in offensive line where you're trying to stop a shadow a defender, keep your body in front of his. I felt like he might have been one of the best mirror dodge players in this draft. And I just think him in front of what they're doing out there with Justin Herbert is an awesome fit and a great value. He was a stud. Good answer. All right. Question four. Um, I kind of skipped over the Jimmy G part of the Baker Mayfield question because I just don't see any world in which the Niners trade Jimmy G to the Seahawks. Uh, gun to your head. Week one. Where is Jimmy G? I think at this point, still in San Francisco. And then they wait until someone gets hurt. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be like the only way he wouldn't be there week one is if there's like a big injury in training camp. But I think I think he's going to end up on that roster starting the year. Is he starting for the football team? <sighs> I hope not. What a weird situation. <laughs> it's got it's. It's so it's so awkward and uncomfortable. Just let Trey Lance go. Let's see if this works. Like I understand that's got to be scary for Kyle because he'll finally be judged based off this. But it's time, man. You've got enough equity. Just turn the kid loose. Is it the Undertaker meme where he's standing behind someone? Or yes, who's he standing behind? I don't know a lot about wrestling. I don't either. <laughs> I think it's Triple H. Actually, um, I guess I do know something about wrestling. If that's right. If not, I was joking. All right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Lenny wants to say, welcome to podcasting. Welcome. Uh, he just wants to know how it feels knowing you have less experience than a dog. Uh, I think that's been the story of my audio and media career is having less experience and somehow still being here. So it fits. <laughs> Everybody go check out Gojo wherever you get your pods. I hope I get an invite soon. Oh, it's coming. Believe me. We need all the help we can get. Thanks, Mina. Thanks, Mina.